This is Influence Now, where we focus on ideas influencing the world. Hi everyone, my name is Justin Kraft, host of Influence Now podcast, and I'm here today with Steve Bukavalis. He's the CEO, founder, safe to say inventor of Phase Change and the MIA Cognitive Agent. And I'm uh, really excited to have you here today. It's a great opportunity to dig into uh, what I feel like is a really core problem related to software development. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. And um, actually, if you can go ahead and give the audience a little bit of an introduction of yourself, that'd be helpful. Uh, well, I've been in technology for many decades, more than I'd like to admit to. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it mainly was in uh, financial services and insurance. Uh, I ran in advanced technology groups uh, and applied AI groups uh, over my career and, and eventually became an entrepreneur and started and sold a couple companies, of which Phase uh, Change is the third. And uh, after I sold my previous company, uh, the buyer said to me, what's wrong with you guys in software? Uh, you know, AI has changed uh, financial services extraordinarily, increased our productivity a hundred times, which is accurate. Uh, and he, he said to me, uh, why can't you do that with your own industry? So after the sale, I said to myself, you know, that's a really great question. I mean, why, why can't we uh, apply AI? What are the barriers to AI solving the software development problem, uh, which is significant. While financial services has gone up hundreds of times in productivity, uh, software has only gone up in the same uh, period of time, only about three times. Yeah, yeah, the productivity question, we'll get into that here. Uh, I think that's a, that's a huge component of this. So tell us a little bit, you kind of explained a little bit of what the problem is already, but what is phase change for those that don't know? Yeah, yeah. The essence of phase change is to change the essence of software. It sounds like a pun, but, but uh, when we look at software, it's extremely manual, uh, uh, software development. And uh, when we look at other industries, we see them entirely automated, robotics, uh, uh, digital technologies and such. And so the question is, what's wrong with software development? And what we've done is figured out a way to uh, change the essence of software development such that it can be digitized and brought into AI such that it's, that it's on a productivity curve, more like Moore's Law, that it can just increasingly, increasingly, much more rapidly every year, get more and more productive. Yeah, that's fantastic. Having determined now what phase change is for the audience and, and, and classifying it for the audience a little bit, um, you got into a little bit at the beginning uh, about the story of what this is and, and, and some of the issues that exist and why AI hasn't necessarily been applied to software, which is really weird to me that it isn't an actual software development. Um, maybe give us a little background. Give us a little bit of the story of phase change and how it came to be um, and where we are. Maybe a little bit of the roadmap of how it has gotten to where it is now, which I guess the audience should also know this. Phase change is very close to being I guess publicly available, um, probably in the next few months here, um, and it's been a long road to get to this point. So I think the audience would be interested in hearing what the story is and maybe that roadmap of how it got to the point it is now. 
Well, uh, the uh, the story and the road has been uh, torturously twisted uh, because it actually is a, seemed like a simple problem when I started, but it turned out to be a lot of uh, steps of innovation. In it. It's not, it wasn't a single innovation. Uh, the, the core of it though, um, which took many years to develop, is to, is to be able to represent mathematically uh, uh, in terms of formal uh, systems, uh, what people do um, uh, when they're developing software. I call it human-centric. So we describe the problem in two human-centric ways. One is um, AI has suffered over the years in trying to, uh, to build automatons, agents, whatever, for the real world. And it's hard uh, for an agent to learn about the real world. We, as human beings, in our first three, four, five years, we're programmed by evolution to be able to suck all that knowledge in and how to behave in the world. We're, you know, 200 million years of evolution has made us this way. Um, we're only beginning to figure out how to make an automaton, an agent, be able to learn that way. And, uh, and, and we, we haven't nearly caught up to uh, the human ability to behave, learn about the world, and behave in the world. Software, however, is a more symbolic world. Software, if you define it that way, is 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 a much simpler world to uh, create an agent in. But no one has been able to figure out how to do it. And what we did is human-centric. We broke it into two pieces: the creative piece that humans do, figure out what do I want to build, how am I going to use it. That's very creative. That's a physical world, real world thing. And how to implement it is that symbolic world, and that's what we made the AI for. Mm -hmm. And that that collaboration uh, between those two is how we got uh, it digitized and into a cognitive platform. So it's truly a blend of of how a human thinks and interacts with a technology in combination with the technology, then learning what that person is inputting into it. And also learning from what maybe the code structure already looks like. That's exactly right. And pulling that all together into one That's cohesive exactly right. solution. So you can't ask me anything about making appointments or how to drive a car or anything like that. But if you want to find the piece of code that caused a bug, she's really good at it. She's much better than a human being. So humans are the ones that drive it. They're the creative ones. And me as the amplifier and using machine speed and machine learning to, to make it happen. Yeah, perfect way to explain it. Um, diving into maybe, in my research, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of applications of this and ways that this can be utilized. And I'm excited that there's something out there that so many people in my network are coders and developers and software creators of things like that. And to have something that actually helps them um, would just go just epically huge for them. Mm -hmm. What are the biggest um, challenges in the market, or not, not from the standpoint of sale, selling it to the market, but the, the challenges in the, that these developers are having and these coders and these CIOs, and what are these problems that it's looking to solve? I mean, we've, it's addressed on your website that COBOL is one of the main uh, legacy systems that this is aiming to solve. 
But why is there a gap there? What is that gap? Is it that the workforce is leaving? Is it that the workforce is retiring? Is it that they, they just can't find new talent? Is it the actual ability of it to find code? What, what are all the problems that this is really looking to solve? Well, one of the, one of the, um, the human problem that I have uh, in, in talking to people about this is, is uh, people think, developers think they think in programming languages. So there's all these debates about programming languages. And actually, people don't think uh, about software in a programming language. They, they build a conceptual understanding of how the computation works uh, and that's, that's abstracted from the actual programming language. Is what we do is build an abstract representation that's analogous to that. So one of the things that is hard for people to realize is that, you know, uh, we can work on any programming language. And they just, that boggles their mind. So COBOL is this old 40, 50 year old language that has atrocious legacy problems um, because the code has been around. It runs 85% of uh, the financial transactions in the world. Uh, and uh, and it's 220 billion lines of code, and uh, and the programmers are all in their 60s. They're all want to retire. They, they keep getting incentives to work a few more years. Uh, nobody wants to learn COBOL. I've had kids that go to see Boulder. Uh, I've never even for computer science. I've never even heard of it. Uh, nobody wants to work. But the problem with legacy. Every developer who's listening to this, everyone that's familiar with software, knows that developers want to build new things. We like to build new systems. Um, as soon as you finish the first version of a system, it becomes legacy. It doesn't matter if it's Haskell, C, COBOL, uh, Java. As soon as you finish the first version, it becomes legacy. And every employer, every employer of uh, our project manager or CEO of software can face the same problem. The knowledge is in those individuals. The market, market is hot. They could get hired away. They could retire. They could say, I'm sick of software. And then I'm stuck. The knowledge walks out the door. What Mia does, the agent does, the cognitive agent does, is we compile the software, the language, into a knowledge representation that allows her to reason the way software people do. So it, it becomes an asset of the corporation. It becomes uh, something that can never walk out the door. Um, but it's universal. Uh, we're starting, as you say, with COBOL because it's such a huge problem. But it works with, uh, with any language because it, it represents conceptually how software works, not as a program. Now, have you guys done any research on actually how much this will pr improve productivity and efficiency and, and also maybe an analysis of how, how much it'll affect that cost number of people? Because I'm assuming you have to pay a lot for these COBOL people to stay on, and that's a huge cost to these massively huge organizations and companies um, running financial data and financial systems. I, I, I don't know. Do you have an estimate of oh, yeah. what the cost savings uh, might be? Yeah. Well, we've done it empirically. I mean, we, we have some academics and staff, some PhDs that were doing some more formal scientific studies. But, you know, it's it's striking. Um, what we quote in our literature, on our website, is actually a very low estimate. We say uh, four to eight times uh, improvement, not percent. Uh, so 
400 to 800 times. And that's for our entry-level product, um, uh, which is simply a cognitive agent that understands software and helps humans understand software. Because uh, the literature says that 70% of, of commercial software development uh, in the legacy, the maintenance stage, is figuring out what the guy down two cubicles down actually was doing when he, he or she wrote uh, their code. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and that's well established. Our internal studies is actually, when we've actually tested people, it's actually 100 to 150 times improvement in, in, uh, in tasks. So it's, it's a stunning improvement, and that's why we compare it to Moore's Law. It's, it's a new uh, curve for uh, software productivity. Yeah, that makes sense that the tagline on the COBOL portion of the website then is COBOL will never be the same, and it's actually legacy software will probably never be the same because productivity-wise, this will allow software developers, CIOs to be more creative and proactive in what they're doing and creating rather than spending all their time trying to find bugs in code or trying to learn whatever this other coder wrote over here um, when it can just be interactive very quickly, I can see so many different ways this can be used. Um, which leads me actually to another question. Um, knowing that there's an actual product launch coming, um, targeted in the end of summer, I'm guessing somewhere around there, um, from what I've read, um, what is it that, uh, or has Mia already, the cognitive agent piece of this, has this already been put in play on, on any uh, test clients, or is it actively being used? Um, uh, you know, where are we at in the beta testing cycle? Is this really close uh, you know, to being used? Uh, we are um, uh, finishing our alpha product development uh, for COBOL and financial services uh, with partners. Uh, beta program will start mid-year. We're projecting July. Uh, and GA will be next year. Okay. So, you know, from our point of view, I mean, I, we're, we're in more than 10 years into R&D on this. Uh, we've built a lot of research platforms to show that it works, uh, but this is the first uh, product launch we're really excited about, very excited about. Yeah. Uh, for 10 years worth of work, I, c I can't imagine what that party's going to look like when you finally get there. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you know, people, people, you know, this is not an academic project. I mean, uh, you know, obviously we use science, but, uh, but seeing people in real companies actually using it, it's just so exciting to us. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's, that's really where the rubber meets the road. And we've established one target market that this will be utilized in probably, and that's COBOL and then also financial systems. Is there any other uh, companies, partnerships, um, other ways that this product is gonna maybe fit into other things or maybe maybe like, a, like an Accenture or somebody like that would potentially be able to utilize this like a, you know, some, some kind of third party and plug it into their tool sets and what they're doing for clients? That's actually a great question. Um, uh, so, you know, I, you know, because I'm an old guy, I, I call that distribution. Um, channel approach is what we're, what, what we're taking up from. We have a little bit direct relationships, uh, in our alpha and beta program, but really, really we want to be more like an Intel inside. And so we're already talking to, I can't talk about the names of the companies, but we're talking to, already talking to companies about embedding and rebranding MIA 
into uh, automation suites that exist in, in companies uh, like the one you mentioned and, and others uh, as well. Okay. I mean, fantastic. I, 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 when I was asking that question, it was coming, where when I was thinking about all the use cases, it was coming to me and uh, that being a really good vertical for you guys. So it's great to hear that you guys are thinking about that. Um, so I always like to ask, you know, just the difficulties because we have an audience too that's entrepreneurs and and also business focused side. And one of the questions I usually like to ask a lot of um, a lot of the guests we have is, if you can elaborate on, you've been at this for ten years. I imagine there's been quite a few difficulties. Maybe elaborate on some of the difficulties that, or maybe ways that advice maybe you can give to others that are in a startup world. Um, because because this product being 10 years in has taken a massive amount of commitment on your part and uh, just changing gears a little bit into just uh, some just some advice for the audience what is it that you have learned from this experience that maybe you can pass on to others that whether they're building uh, software programs or a product or um, I mean it could be anything in the business side of things that you have learned doing this that you can maybe pass along to the audience? Yeah. Um, the, um, because we build cognitive systems, uh, I tend to think of these things formally. Um, and one of the things is, is that I've come to realize that we all, people, uh, are living in bubbles. And, uh, and, uh, and the, you know, and people talk about it in politics now a lot. I'm not going to I'm just talking about belief systems in science and in industry. We see it as fads all the time. When you come with an idea that is so much outside of people's bubbles, uh, and uh, the truth of it, even when you demonstrate it to them, um, uh, uh, they don't believe it. They 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 claim it's a, a fraud. Mm -hmm. And so, so what I, my advice to uh, entrepreneurs is. If you want to do something extraordinarily significant, <clears throat> uh, be prepared for serious pushback. Be prepared for talking to people like Justin and, and asking advice. How do I explain this in a way that people will actually believe me? I've become much more of a, uh, you know, how do, I, how do I explain things to these different communities, the science community, the engineering community, the, uh, the customer community, the IT managers, the CIOs. Every single community needs to be hear it in a different way. It's been incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest challenge. The messaging. Yeah, the, messaging. the, the message, um, the voice. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we discover that a lot with uh, many, many startups that uh, my, my agency that I actually own outside of this works with. Um, and, and additionally, just those we talk to on Influence Now. So a uh, great piece of advice. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to plug phase change really quick as well. So where can people, one, get more information, and then two, interact or engage with you to maybe even get in your pipeline for learning more about this, getting a demo? Um, how do you want people to contact you? Okay, well, um, uh, uh, contact uh, through uh, the website is probably the best way. Uh, reference this podcast and say that you, you want to talk to me directly. And, uh, 
and uh, myself or my COO will uh, get back to you. What we're really looking for in terms of relationships uh, is those channel partnerships. Uh, it doesn't matter what language, if you're interested in Java or if you're interested in you know, Haskell's at the other end. I mean, we're interested in expanding this as quickly as possible. And uh, we're looking for partners in that space. Um, if you have special purpose applications that are particularly uh, hurting, uh, we'd like to talk to you as well. So please feel free to reach out uh, and talk to us. We're a, <clears throat> uh, you know, we're a typical organization uh, where uh, email and messaging is the best way to contact us. Uh, but we're very responsive and we love talking to people. Thanks for that. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, I will go ahead and uh, post all of the, the necessary information uh, on the podcast pages and across those. But uh, just so everyone knows, it is phase change, P-H-A-S-E-C-H-A-N-G-E dot A-I is the main site. There's actually COBOL dot phase change dot A-I as well if you want to read more about the COBOL specifically piece of this. I believe there's also a video on the website currently that helps explain this a little more from a meta-cognitive standpoint. Yeah. And um, I would like for anybody to please do share this, uh, tell your friends about it, especially if you're in the developer uh, coding space. This is really something that's absolutely game-changing that people just can't believe is here. Uh, so uh, you will hear a lot more about this in the future. And uh, I want to thank you so much. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. It's been uh, Influence Now podcast. And uh, again, I'm Justin Kraft, your host, and with Steve Vukovalas. Uh, we'll see you next time.